Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's not uncommon to hear of sporting connections with pubs in Ireland. Ex-sports players will invest in a venture to make them a few quid in their retirement, round out their portfolio and give them a place to hang out, occasionally hosting a few events. What is not so frequent is sports people being behind the bar, hands-on and running the show. Today I'm going to tell you about a man who played rugby at the highest level and also owned and operated a popular Dublin pub, all at the same time. The pub is the Swan on Anger Street and the man is Sean Lynch. Welcome to Publin, a podcast about the history, culture and heritage of pubs in Ireland and abroad. The Swan Bar on Anger Street has stood in that location, in one guise or another, since 1661, making it one of Dublin's oldest and most venerable pubs. The pub, as we see it today, can trace its interior roots to 1897, when publican Thomas F. O'Reilly undertook a large modernisation of the pub. Most of this work is still evident in the bar today, and it retains the characteristics of the Victorian period. There's only 16 pubs left in Dublin that can claim to be a Victorian-era pub, and the Swan is certainly one of the best examples of preservation while still being fully functional in the modern era. Walk inside the pub and you'll find all the classic hallmarks of the era. A snug where ladies and those who wish not to be seen could enjoy a G&T, in the case of the ladies, or a pint of porter in the case of priests, police, or anyone who might not want to be bothered within the confines of a public house. The countertop is Scottish granite, chosen because of its ability to stay cool and thus keep the drinks chilled when sitting upon it. The old taps are still evident, though they're not functional, and the arching wooden dividers that define Victorian pubs can be found bookending the bar service area. The pub has made its mark on historical events over the years. It was occupied for a time during the 1916 Rising, and bullet holes from the Civil War can still be seen through the yellow paint high up on the building to this day. But it's not just the building that it's played its part in Irish history. The annals of Irish sporting history will record that Swan Bar owner Sean Lynch made his name in rugby playing for nearby St Mary's or FC, then moving on to Captain Leinster at provincial level, making his debut for the Irish national team in 1971, before being selected later in that same year 
for the prestigious British and Irish Lions tour of New Zealand. Sean Lynch's family owned the Swan after purchasing it in 1938. As was common for the time, Sean grew up upstairs above the bar with his family, which included four brothers. Sean developed as a rugby player at school and then for St Mary's College, or FC. While he was progressing at rugby, Sean came to run the pub and learned his trade and family business, maintaining the pub as a popular watering hole for those who lived and worked nearby. By 1971, Sean's abilities and work as a prop on the rugby pitch had earned him a call-up to the Irish rugby team, making his debut in the Five Nations at home at Lansdowne Road against a French team with whom they drew 9-all in front of a massive crowd of 55,000 people. Sean played in all four games of the tournament that year and caught the attention of the British and Irish Lions coach, Welshman Carwin James. It was on that tour that he played a pivotal role in making history and completing a feat never seen before or since. For those unfamiliar with the sport of rugby, the British and Irish Lions are a team picked every four years from the best players of the nations of Ireland, England, Scotland and Wales. The team then goes on tour to one of New Zealand, South Africa or Australia, traditionally the strongest Southern Hemisphere rugby nations. While on tour in these countries, they play a series of warm-up matches against local clubs and teams before playing a four-match series against the national opponent. The competition started in 1888, and from that point the Lions had never managed to beat New Zealand, even after six attempts. New Zealand would be regarded as the gold standard of international rugby, and historically are the most revered for their rugby culture and the style in which they play the game. For such a small country, New Zealand and their rugby team, known as the All Blacks for the colour of their jersey, were and are the ultimate force in world rugby. This is the setting for the scene in which Sean Lynch embarks upon his round-the-world trip, away from his pub and towards a huge international sporting event. You might be asking why a man travelling the world to play international rugby also needs to own a pub. Surely the rugby pays enough to keep him in house and home. Well, the fact of the matter is that rugby was, until 1993, an amateur sport with a very minimal stipend. Sean's remuneration for playing for the Lions while on tour was 15 shillings a day, approximately 12 euro in today's money. Sean was to be gone from Angel Street for three and a half months, quite a stretch of time, especially considering he might only have been gone for a few days or even a night when playing abroad internationally for Ireland. He had to draft in a team of barmen and family to assist in operating the pub and covering his shifts during the period. Sean wasn't alone as an Irishman in the Lions squad. He was joined by Mike Gibson, Fergus Slattery, Ray McLaughlin, Mick Hipwell and Willie John McBride. Of course, crucially to our story, although all of the players had other jobs, Sean was the only publican among them. When two of the first-choice props, Sandy Carmichael and Irishman Ray McLaughlin, were taken injured during a game against a local team, Sean was drafted in to take his place in the first team and instantly made an impression. The Lions played the New Zealand Maori in a tour game, which was regarded as an extremely rough affair, and perhaps it could be said that the local team were attempting to soften them up before the first international test match. Sean earned acclaim for his performances, but also earned himself 12 stitches after taking a punch to the face. His face got its own back, however, as the thrower of the dig broke his wrist in the process. Sean and his opponent ended up after the game sharing the same ambulance on the way to the hospital. That would have made for a fairly awkward journey, no doubt. Sean's fellow prop, Ian McLaughlin, told a story about how he, Sean, and two other players broke the no midweek drinking rule after a particularly bruising game against Canterbury. They went for a, quote, a few quiet drinks, end quote, that turned into several more. 
Unbeknownst to them, Carwa James, the manager, knew exactly what they had been up to and set about running the intoxicants out of them at training the following day. He made them lead a cavalry charge, making them run the length of a pitch six times. The workout seemed to put them through their paces and, as you can imagine, made them quite queasy throughout the ordeal. Delmay Thomas developed upon McLaughlin's story by saying, I developed a real admiration for Lynchy that day. He was running and throwing up at the same time. Clearly the team as a group went out for drinks together during the tour, and these were just the unlucky ones to be caught. Thomas also went on to say that Lynchy would go to church every Sunday, no matter how heavy the Saturday night had been. Then he'd come back to the hotel with a wide grin on his face. I've wiped the slate clean, boys. I can start again. English player Peter Dixon had this to say about the games leading up to the first test. After every game we played, it was always the same. Wait until you get down to Southland. They'll give you a proper doing, and so on. They're going really well. They'll show you. It was great. We loved that. It was a running joke throughout the tour. It literally happened after every game. Oh, you boys are okay, but you were pretty lucky to beat us in the end. Just you wait until... And this would be after we put 30 points on them and scored 7 tries. Oh, it was pretty close. Close! In their minds, you were never the better team. It was an anomaly, an off day for them. They seemed unable to see the strange run of off days suffered by almost every team we played. In hindsight, not only the run of results, but the inacceptance of the New Zealanders that their teams were losing so badly was a good omen for the Lions in the weeks and days before the first test in Dunedin. And Colin Meads have just let their respective teams onto Carisbrook for the 16th test match to be played on this ground. Scrum half is Edwards. The front row props McLaughlin and Lynch, the hooker Pullen, the locks Thomas and McBride. On the flanks are Dixon and Taylor, and in the back of the scrum Mervyn Davis. Playing from the left, the British Isles, playing into the sun. A southerly breeze blowing across towards us on the terrace. Tremendous tension, a record crowd. And there's Taylor. Sean's Ireland and Lions teammate Willie John McBride described the opening of the match like so. After 25 minutes, we'd hardly touched the bloody ball. I was getting up from the ground, aches and pains everywhere, and there beside me was Sean Lynch on his hands and knees, muck everywhere. And he said, Jesus, we need someone to count these bastards because I've tackled about 30 of them. In the end, the Lions emerged victors in the first test, winning 3-9. to nine. And it's no side. And the British Isles have won the first test match by 9 points to New Zealand 3. Amidst great scenes of jubilation, the teams leave the Carisbrook. First test ending in a British Isles victory by nine points to three. Of course, we can't escape the fact that this is a large group of young men on tour, away at quite a distance from other responsibilities. Add that to the fact that they had just secured what might have been considered an unlikely yet hard-fought victory, and you could forgive them seizing the opportunity to celebrate with a few drinks. One of the Lions managers, Doug Smith, recounts checking in on the players after the first test victory after hearing a bit of a commotion. I immediately went upstairs to Willie John and said, Here, what the hell are you doing? And he's sitting on his bed with his pipe and he said, Oh, nothing at all, manager. Nothing at all. And there was a rolling of the curtain and I went over and kicked it and Arthur Lewis fell out. And then a rolling of the wardrobe and I opened the door and Sean Lynch fell out. On the field and off, there was no doubt about it. These boys could play. The following test match was not so successful, with the All Blacks proving victorious by 22 points to 12 in Christchurch. They were level, a game each, but there would still be two more opportunities to emerge victorious. The third test match went the Lions' way once more, 13 points to 3 in Wellington, leaving them poised on the precipice of victory for the first time. To return victorious, the Lions would either have to win 
or draw. After starting the tour as second choice prop, Sean had proven himself by playing all three test matches to date and was selected once more for the crucial fourth game on the 14th of August in Eden Park, Hello everyone, despite the drizzle that's coming down on Eden Park, what a lovely setting this is for the climax of what has been a memorable tour. This the most important test match that these boys, the British Lions, will ever play in their lives. And the captain, Colin Meads, who's won the toss and is playing with the conditions. And it's Barry John for the Lions, kicking off now. Lions on the right. The game was as fiercely fought as the other tests and the Lions held up to the challenge of a New Zealand team desperate not to be the first to lose on home soil. By half-time, the score was even at 8-8. If it stayed like that, the Lions would draw the match and win the series. It then went to 11-11 in the second half, tying the teams up until the most crucial score of the game. You have to draw this match. You only have to draw it to win the series. It's 11 points all at the moment. John Williams, the full-back. Oh, he turned well, and he did it. John Williams, number 15 there. John, courageous Williams, hit that one straight and true. You see how David Duckham to the captain, John Dawes. John Williams. J.P.R. Williams, with some of the most impressive sideburns I've ever seen, scored the only drop goal of his career. At a massive 45 metres out from the All Blacks goal, pushing the Lions into the driving seat. The All Blacks did come back to level the game at 14-all, making for a nervy end to the match, but the Lions held on to draw the game and win the Test Series by 2-1. to one. Sean's teammate Fergus Slattery had this praise of Sean years later when interviewed. Against a team like New Zealand, all three rows of the scrum have to be performing brilliantly if you wanted to get parity, let alone domination. And in the front row, our two props were our second-choice props, Sean Lynch and Ian McLaughlin. But both were very, very important. Both were very, very good scrummagers. Describing his own role in that tour, Sean said, I had no interest in running around with the ball. My job was to give it to the best backline in the world, feed it out and let them do the rest. We knew where Barry John would kick the ball. He'd kick it on a sixpence. I knew without lifting my head where he'd land it and I'd speed to that breakdown. And with that, the tour was over. 77 days away from home and 26 games played by the team. It was time to return back to Dublin and to Angel Street. Sean returned from the tour to find the pub still in good order, but that his profile in the city had changed. In an interview with the Irish Independent in 2017, Sean said that the tour had been very good for business, with people coming in and wanting to see the man who had helped win the Test Series. He was recognised walking down the street with people stopping to shake his hand, and he even made the cover of the paper when he married his wife Marlene. Sean continued to play rugby and was capped 17 times by Ireland from 1971 to 1974 with his final match coming at home on the 23rd of November in Lansdowne Road, fittingly played against New Zealand. The boost in business from Sean's affiliation with rugby continued long after his retirement from the sport, and lasts even, in fact, to this day. Throughout the 1980s, it was common for members of the national team to come into the pub the night before a match. The team usually stayed in the Shelburne Hotel off Stevens Green, which wasn't much of a walk from the Swan. Now remember that this was still a non-professional sport and sports science wasn't then what it is now. I'm quoting here Sean from the Irish Independent. In those days, they would come in and nobody would see them. Well, people knew they were here, but they didn't know that people knew they were here. You used to have two pints. You needed two drafts to relax before a match. You wouldn't see that today. There'd be murder. 
There was one superstition involving the pub and the Irish national team that occurred during the 80s. When some of the team came into the pub for their Friday pre-match pints, they would sit in the snug for some privacy. There were usually three local older ladies sitting in the snug. The players thought that if the three ladies were there the night before a match, that it was a good omen that they would win the match. They won two triple crowns during that time, so maybe there was something to it. McDoyle, the Irish coach at the time, had played with Sean Lynch, as had the Irish captain, Kieran Fitzgerald. It wasn't just Irish teams that came into the pub either. Scotland and other international teams would come in for pints after a game on a Sunday. Sean's son Ronan continues to run the pub to this day and has tastefully adorned the pub in some of Sean's old jerseys and those he received from opponents, as well as a selection of his test caps. There's likely few pubs with better rugby memorabilia hanging on the walls, as in the Swan. Two amazing tributes have been paid to Sean in recent years, the first being the naming of the club bar in St Mary's RFC after him. Sean was the first of 12 players from that club to play at Lions level. The second tribute is a bust of Sean playing rugby that sits in the corner of the pub, fundraised by patrons of the pub to pay tribute to his career, his pub and his character. It's clear from multiple accounts that Sean is a humble and unassuming man who is held in high esteem by pundits, his teammates and his customers. Thanks again for listening to another Publin podcast. One book that I used extensively for this podcast was When Lions Roared, The Lions, The All Blacks and The Legendary Tour of 1971 by Tom English and Peter Burns, which features extensive interviews with the players and staff involved. Thanks to Ronan Lynch, who provided detail on the pub and his father's career when I talked to him a few years back. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, maybe consider subscribing to the podcast and rating it on whatever app you use. If you have comments or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Just email me, john, at publinie, that's P-U-B-L-I-N-I-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you all soon. Sláinte. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 